1: Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Stocks are advancing as the S&P 500 rebounds from the longest streak of weekly losses since January. We have got energy producers rallying along with the price of crude oil. West Texas Intermediate is higher now by 3.3%, back above $47 a barrel, 40 $3,774 right now on WTI. That is a gain of $1.53. Gold up $1.40 the ounce to $1,274, a gain there of 0.1%. And we have got the S&P 500 index up 24, a gain of 1.2%. We're brought to you by Carbonite. You never know when disaster will strike your business from spilled coffee to malware attacks. Protect your digital files with secure automatic cloud backup from carbonite visit carbonite.com today to get two free months with offer code broadcast again the dow up 211 points a gain there of 1.2 percent i'm charlie pellet and that's a bloomberg business flash this is taking stock with pim fox and kathleen hayes on bloomberg radio
2: Pfizer may have had to walk away from its $160 billion takeover of Allergan last month, but that doesn't mean it's sitting back and resting on its laurels. Today, it agreed to buy Anacor Pharmaceuticals for $5.2 billion. And in this step, we'll gain control of an experimental treatment for eczema, a condition that affects about 18 to 25 million people in the United States. Joining us now is Cynthia Coons of Bloomberg News. She wrote the uh, lead story for the terminal today, and she joins us now to tell us more about the deal and what it means for Pfizer. So
3: uh, how did this come about? Well, as far as I understand, this deal only took about a month to come together, and Pfizer can move quickly when they want to. Clearly, they have a lot of cash, um, and they're using cash they have within the U.S. um, for this deal. So basically, ever since the Allergan deal came apart, they've been saying, Ian reed has been saying, the CEO of Pfizer, that he's after going after late-stage assets, assets that are going to bring revenue quicker instead of early-stage, say, scientific-geared companies that are developing drugs, but there still might be years to prove whether or not they work. And so this is a perfect example of that. This is the kind of thing that he would have been eyeing. And they moved quickly so that they didn't end up in a competitive bidding process, which makes a lot of sense for them.
4: Cynthia, uh, this is what an all in $5.2 billion deal, including the debt. What does this deal indicate about Pfizer's plans for a split in their business of new drugs, new medicines, and then in another company, perhaps those medicines and drugs that have lost patent protection?
3: it looks now like they're closer than ever to going down the road of a split. If they weren't thinking of doing that, there wouldn't be an urgency in deals, and it feels as though this deal coming so quickly out of the gate after the Allergan deal fell apart is an indication that they're going to move quickly, they're going to do a lot of deals, and they're going to get the company ready for a split. It would be pretty hard to shareholders. Aren't going to go ahead with a split considering they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars assessing this possibility already. But of course they're going to take certain things into consideration and one of those is the tax implications of a split. And one of the arguments that they've made is that their competitors in the space of branded pharmaceuticals, a lot of them are domiciled overseas and obviously Pfizer wasn't able to go ahead with that plan. So they're going to look at things like that when they decide whether or not a split is viable. But doing a deal like this just indicates that they're trying to bulk up the innovative side of the business so that they have the pipeline and the approvals coming down the track, ticking over in the next couple of years to be a competitive company on their own as an independent, innovative company. Eczema, toenail
2: fungus, how how important are these to Pfizer? How big are these markets potentially?
3: Well, eczema is a very large market. This is specifically a treatment for atopic dermatitis. And if it's improved, this is a very competitive segment, but if it's approved, it's going to be for the mild to moderate category, which is pretty niche, and that's where where Pfizer could make a mark with it. Of course, they're going to have to... Proved to dermatologists that this is the drug they need to use for this. They're obviously using other things right now, and so this isn't. This is kind of going to be carving out a new a new category there. And so, to some extent, some analysts have said, look, it's probably more like a one to two billion dollar in sales kind of target for this drug rather than two plus billion, but. Pfizer is a really strong company. They have a long history of trying out new drugs, and they can do this. They can just—they just have to convince dermatologists that this has got to be the kind of standard of care for a new patient population.
4: Thank you very much, Cynthia Coons, a Bloomberg Healthcare reporter, telling us about Pfizer and their acquisition of Anacor. Shares of Pfizer up about half a percent today. They're up about three percent so far this year, and it pays a dividend of three point six percent all right let's turn our attention now to the energy markets with energy prices moving higher right now the uh, benchmark West Texas intermediate contract taking a look at this month forward is up more than three and a quarter percent here to tell us more John Kilda, founding partner of again capital uh, John always a pleasure um, I wonder if you could comment on the report that Goldman Sachs has said that the global glut of crude has turned into a deficit do you buy that
5: um they're a little ahead of me uh on that uh, conclusion Pim. Uh always good to speak with you as well by the way. Um, I don't uh, the numbers don't quite add up that much. I think there was a little overshoot in terms of how much uh, Nigerian oil production has been lost over the past uh, couple of weeks here now. The Nigerian oil minister was on the wires today saying that they they're pumping 1.4 million and I have to say, it's not very precious oil either. This oil was sitting on tankers, better part of this past year, looking for a place to sell into. So, you know, it, it has spiked the market, but uh, you have to take a hard look as to how valuable this oil really is.
2: So you have uh, long been arguing that the bottom in oil had not been actually established. Do you still feel that way? You've been traded in the mid 40 bucks a barrel for some time now on West Texas Intermediate.
5: Yeah, I mean, we're obviously, you know, a good ways away from where we were in terms of the bottom at this point. But um, when you when you look at these, we've strung together some significant supply disruption events that were outliers. So the Kuwaiti oil workers strike, the tar Sands fire, uh, this situation with Nigeria. And, um, you know, I think part of what's propping prices up a bit is, is a strong demand outlook that I don't see necessarily playing out, particularly as it relates to the uh, energy-intense Asian economies led by China. The data just keeps being poor every time one of these countries like Japan, South Korea, or the Chinese report. So I, I think the demand side of this equation is not going to hold up. And then if the supply situation proves to be transitory through some of these instances that we're going through, uh, we'll be back in the soup again pretty easy.
4: Can you uh, can you make any comment on any production outages that may exist in places like Canada, but also across the ocean in Libya?
5: Well, the Libyan situation is very interesting. It keeps evolving. I think the deal that Senate, Secretary Kerry announced today is a big step. And actually, there is going to be a loading now again uh, to a cargo in East Libya. So they, that is a, a switch that's just ready to be flipped. Now, the two sides there have been fighting you know, intensely with each other, denying the export export of oil there. But if that ramps up, which it easily could, uh, that's going to be another factor for this uh, market. Now, the, the one supportive outage, Tim, is down in Venezuela because they are on, a, on the precipice of an economic implosion there. Schlumberger's is pulling out. So we, we could, in fact, lose their oil. And that, that could be uh, a bit of a game changer for the market more than anything else.
2: Has China's economy, and the slowdown there, been completely priced into the market now,
5: the oil market? No, I don't believe it has, actually. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, we know that uh, they're, they're scrambling to try to prop up as much growth as they can right now, uh, and they haven't even started, um, you know, rationalizing their steel industry. The other thing, too, is that a lot of the, quote-unquote, demand growth we've seen out of China has really gone into stockpiling and, B, to supply uh, these teapot refiners. They're actually making 150% of their refined product uh, capacity. They have – been exporting record amounts of diesel fuel, which has contributed to a glut there. So I think that there's a lot of dynamics there that I don't think have been priced into the market uh, on the bear side of the equation.
4: John, of course, you've taken note of Sandridge Energy and its uh, filing for bankruptcy protection. Are we going to see more of these bankruptcies in the United States?
5: We've had quite a few now, and a sandwich is obviously pretty notable. Uh, but yes, I do. I think that there's still more to come. And, um, I'm still waiting for some deals to be struck here because, I know that the rich, I keep saying, during this whole thing, the rich are going to get richer, Penn. Um, and that there's some good values. The one thing we can take heart in as Americans and consumers is that these assets will obviously, through the bankruptcy process, will be repriced. So it's not like they're going to poof, vanish into thin air to be lost forever the infrastructure and all that's still there. It's just that now hopefully these new companies that emerge will be able to produce oil at new lower prices, which should be good for everybody.
2: Hmm. Are you surprised that uh, Goldman Sachs was surprised by the sudden oil market turn and the glut uh, vanishing?
5: Um, I I guess, you know, these are in in the energy market, Kathleen. You know, I've talked about this space for over the years now. There's always something, Um, and you always have to kind of be on the lookout for stringing together uh these events when they start to occur. They're like celebrity deaths. They seem to come in threes if if not more. And um you know you gotta deal with it. So uh but I, I think that uh there may be an overreaction uh on their part at this point and I would be careful because it's interesting that uh a lot of the we had record length in the market coming into this run up. That's been shed a good deal of it. And we've also seen a build up now of of shorts in this market. We get to see all that data thanks to the CFTC every week as you know. And that's been building up. So I they um they might have been a little uh, late here, if you ask me.
2: All right. Well, John Kilda, thank you so very much. Right on time for us. He's founding partner at, again, Capital. He's not entirely convinced that the bottom in oil prices has been set. The- market is not priced in the slowdown in China, for example. John Kilduff joining us today to talk about the move up in oil. I'm Kathleen Hayes, along with Pim Fox, taking stock on Bloomberg Radio. Dave Olson will be coming up with his chart of the day and the economics brief with Carl Riccadonna from Bloomberg Intelligence. Keep it right here on Bloomberg Radio.